scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, it looks corner to Aguila. Aguila in the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. All right, here we go. Let's get it going on this Wednesday, January 24th. Flames Talk underway on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Hello, Wes. How are you, buddy? Doing okay. Um, I'll just I, I I will just say this right now. Uh, I, I know Wes is on the same page. Um, it does uh, it does feel a little trivial to be talking about hockey and and such uh, on this Wednesday. It does, and you know why. And uh, so so it it does feel trivial that we're about to dive into a bunch of hockey stuff. But we are. Uh, we'll try to uh, we'll try to keep uh, keep you distracted from some really really uh, you know awful awful news that's out there right now. So uh, and we'll address it a little bit later on this hour as well as as much as we can. Um, knowing that that was an absolute gut punch for the Flames on Tuesday night. That is the best way to put it. Yeah. Gut punch or baseball bat to the gut, perhaps a sledgehammer to the gut. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's a, a full on cannonball to the gut. I don't know, but yeah, that was that was really rough to see, and that's a tough way to lose a hockey game. That's a tough way to lose a hockey game that meant as much as that game meant. And you know, I thought Dennis Gilbert put it best on our post game show on Tuesday night when he joined us live outside the Flames locker room. I thought that he had a really uh, I kind of. No excuses way of looking at it. This was just a little bit of our chat with Dennis Gilbert on Tuesday night. I mean, it's unacceptable, to be honest. Um, you know, played okay, decent hockey through 40 minutes, and going to the third with a lead at home, and that just can't happen. The uh, the Shen goal late in the second period seemed like it, it maybe swung momentum. Did, did, did you feel like the Blues maybe gained some momentum after that shorthanded goal? No, not at all. We... we uh, Came back in the locker room, got regrouped. Everyone's mind was in a good spot, and uh, we thought we were ready to go, and thought we had a pretty good start to the third. And I don't know from there. Yeah, I just thought I thought Dennis Gilbert was was really honest, unacceptable, can't happen, yeah. and not even making excuses. Not you know, took that Braden Shen goal and and basically said no, no, that that's that we, we thought we were in a good spot going to the third. We felt like we were good, and then it went off the rails. And that's just but that is when that game. I agree completely. Pivoted. I agree completely. And yet the frustrating part is that the Flames let it pivot. Like they didn't yeah. they didn't have to they had a minute fifty three of power play time to go mm-hmm. after that goal went in. They had a one goal lead going into the third period in a game that they had I, I thought other than the first four or five minutes had definitively controlled and then let it let it slip on them and let the Blues turn that into a momentum swing. You go out and have, and I get it. You get rattled and, and that type of stuff, especially after a, a mistake leads to a, a puck in the back of your net. But I just thought that you had a really good opportunity to just go back to the way you were playing before that goal goes in. Have a good power play. You don't have to score on that power play, but get the momentum back like they did when Saad tied it earlier in the second period. They got the momentum right back. They drew a penalty, scored two goals, and, and took the game right back over. 
and then the second time something happens to maybe push momentum the other way, they, they let it kind of run them over. And that, that was maybe the most frustrating part to me in a game that meant as much as it did in the standings and, and with a team that is teetering as yeah. it stands right now and with these decisions on the horizon. That that was, I, I think, the part that was most worrying for me. Yeah, I mean, there there's plenty of cause for concern during this three-game skid. And I, I can't remember because we've had two quite strong-worded Mackenzie Weger post-game scrums in the, the past two games. So I don't remember if he made this comment after the loss to Edmonton or after the loss last night to St. Louis, but he said something along the lines of, you know, these are the sort of mistakes that we made in October and November. Yes. Thought we, we left that behind. That was, was, that was Tuesday night. That was yep. Tuesday night. And I chatted today with Rasmus Anderson in the Flames locker room, and, and he made a very similar comment. He said he, he feels like they've taken a, a step backward with their team defense of late. And so this isn't just about what transpired in the final 22 minutes against St. Louis, although as you're, as you've said, gut punch is a really good way to put it. But this is sort of a concerning trend for a team that really needs to be headed the other direction. Yeah, they need to be improving. And, I mean, and, that's and, the built and right? building, right? Yeah. And there, there was some good last night, but... What a weird hockey game, right? It was sloppy, a lot of turnovers, way too many. We were having a debate in the the media lounge, all kind of checking our notes, trying to figure out if Jacob Markstrom faced four or five breakaways last night. Well, and was that not what they told us on Tuesday morning? Got to watch out for how good a rush team this is. Yeah. Um, That was Ryan Huska uh, was very adamant about it. Then and, And when he joined us, uh, he he kind of does, after he does his media scrum, he comes in and has a chat usually with uh, the broadcast crew, uh, broadcast crews um, of the, the different television networks and, and our, our radio team. And then we record the coaches show with him after after his morning news conference. And, and that was one of the things he was stressing on and off Mike that this is, in his opinion, maybe the best rush team in the NHL in terms of how dangerous they can be. Right. And, and the Flames didn't do a great job, especially in the third period yeah. of, of really scouting that out. Yeah. Well, not even scouting it out, but, but reacting to it properly. Like the goal that we're going to talk more about the shorthanded marker by Braden Shen. That's just a screw up by Mackenzie Weaker. And, and that's a more PG version of what he called it post game, but multiple times, the other breakaways were like stretch passes that you have to be aware of guys getting behind defense yeah. and, and like trying to be sneaky. And yeah. then they were sneaky. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, Dennis Gilbert, I, I go back to that clip that we started with when he said we played. Okay. That's about the best I, I could give them last night. Yeah. You know, they, they were in the driver's seat, so they should have won that game. And yet would we be sitting here today saying that was a game they deserve full marks for? No, I don't think so. You know, if they close out in the third period, I think we are. If if we're if, closer if, to maybe, and and I think that we're praising them for you know not letting the Braden Shen goal take the game over. Sure, and instead that's and that that's maybe the thing that that frustrates me the most because I I, I want to play you a couple clips, and maybe I'll do that in a second. What what do you think of the game winner with less than fifty seconds to go? I thought that Markstrom got his. Eyes taken away, and it, you know, after watching it, I don't know, 15 or 20 times, um, it looks like it also hit Osterley on the way in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I know that there was a lot of like, how could Jacob let that in at that time? 
I, I don't know how many goalies are stopping that exact shot because of no eyes. It deflects off of Osterley and then takes the short hop in front of him. That's and then goes posting in. You, but that's just a, in know, a lot of ways, a, a pretty unfortunate unfortunate play as opposed to a bad goal. You know, Pat, I'm glad that you asked me for my expert opinion on this because <clears throat> this morning at, at 7 a.m. when I was playing hockey and our, our team was getting roundly whooped, uh, I volunteered to play defense for the third period, mostly because I was just a really useless forward. And uh, I had a, a moment where I defended it actually the exact same way. I just kept backing towards my goalie, providing a screen, which someone then shot through to score the eighth or ninth or tenth goal that we gave up in that game. And I don't want to compare myself to Jordan Osterley by any stretch, but he he's backing in. You know, we heard Ryan yeah. Huska say that the gap wasn't good enough there. Like he's he's backing in way too far yeah. on that play. Whether it was a case of of taking Jacob Markstrom's eyes away, whether it was a case of a puck, as we heard Jacob explain that skipped off the ice. It was just not a well-defended play. It was not. And, and I give Jordan Osterley a lot of credit for the way he's played of late. I think he's done a good job in the context of a sixth defenseman of rebounding from a really rotten start to the season. But I think that has to be defended differently. Yeah. Uh, as a defenseman. I As, as a high-end defenseman. Let's not forget about that. Well, I I'm not sure anyone made uh, made that claim, but I'd say you know just, uh, mid to high for sure. Um, Thank you. It it just I and and so I asked that question before I play these clips because you know there's that goal that ends up beating the the Markstrom with less than 50 seconds to go. I think it was less than 48 seconds to go when it was all said and done. And then there's the Mackenzie Weger gaff that led to the Braden Shen goal. And both Weger and Markstrom spoke post game, and I think did a very good job of being accountable. And I think maybe crossed the line of being too accountable. Just, I, I want to play these two clips. This is Mackenzie Weger post game on Tuesday night. Definitely didn't have want, didn't have the start we wanted. Um, I don't know how many times he spoke about, you know, them flying the zone and getting breakaways. And, you know, we were too loose there. We were, you know, three, one in the second period power play, you know, chance to put him away, turn the puck over. And, you know, as an older guy on this team, I got to know better. It's just a bullshit play by me, but Third period, obviously, you know, you know they tie it up. But one minute left, just a, it's a tough bounce. Um, but there was a lot of other things that happened in that game that were, you know, not us. And um, you know, I thought that we left that sort of that play in October, November. Um, but definitely a tough turnover for myself. And you know, going completely different game, three-one going into the third period. So there's Mackenzie Weger owning the mistake but maybe owning it too much or, or putting too much of the game on himself. And this is uh, a play. Jacob Markstrom. You yeah, want to jump in quickly? Well, I just want to say, if you want to talk about over owning a mistake, here's Jacob. Markstrom. Yeah, this, this was Jacob post game. Tonight was a tough one. It's uh, you know, we're, we're up going into the third and you know, uh, I got to come up with a, with a few more saves tonight. And you know, we'll, we'll we sit here with two points and, and a happy group. How did you feel personally getting back in after being off for a while? Yeah, four is four is too many. Four is four too many. So it's uh, yeah, that's tough. Tough. I got to be better. We, we saw Mackenzie call himself out for for the giveaway at the blue line. He's been great this year. And did you see the, that accountability in this group right now? Yeah, I mean it is like uh, like I said, it's uh, you know stuff like that's going to happen. It happens every game, and it doesn't matter who it is. And 
you know, I'm still back there and, you know, it's my job to, you know, how many shots are these guys blocking for me? It's, uh, you know, it's my job to, to bail, bail him out there uh, when stuff like that happens. And, you know, I didn't do that. So that's tough. So there's Jacob Markstrom say, well, well, no, they, I didn't, I let the goals in. It's all on me. And Mackenzie Weger said, well, I, I made that mistake. Was it a tough play? Um, again, that's a little cleaner for a family podcast. Was was that a gaffe from Mackenzie Weger? Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Is he going to make another one this year? Yep. And might it end up in the back of his net? Yep. When you're an NHL defenseman playing 20 to 25 minutes a night, you're going to make a mistake. And sometimes, you know what? Rasmus Anderson's going to make a mistake between now and the end of the season. That ends up in the back of their net. So is Chris Tanev and so is Noah Hannafin. When you're a top four defenseman in the NHL, it happens. And, so And yet, that's what you need to hear after it happens. Yes. I guess my point is, is that I come away from that game not putting that on Mackenzie Weger. Like, did Mackenzie Weger make a mistake? Yeah, but they yeah. were still in the lead, and they didn't respond properly. And and did a weird one beat Jacob with less than 50 seconds to go? Yes, but they had lost that game, or it was trending that way prior to that because they had allowed the Blues to take over. And I guess I, my, my point is, is that I come away more frustrated at the overall situational awareness and more frustrated at it's late January and they're in a tooth and nail playoff fight and one shorthanded goal late in the second period, seven seconds into a power play that could have put the other team away. A 4-1 goal, that is a dagger and this game is over because the Blues had nothing. And yes, that let them back in, but you want to see some killer instinct there, right? You want to see a team that that bears down and and... Okay, yeah, like going back to what Dennis Gilbert said at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the hour, like that shouldn't have been the goal that that yeah. dropped them. McKenzie's mistake should have just been a mistake, and probably they shouldn't have been in a spot where that weird one that beat Jacob ended up being the the game winner so late in the game. Yeah, like I think what we heard from McKenzie Weger last night was sort of the like the frustrations obvious. You know, I I said earlier he. Not not on air, I suppose, but I, I made the comment earlier today to somebody like it looked like he was readying at about the hash marks to break his stick over the post yeah. or crossbar, you know, that and he shattered that. It, yeah. And and so the frustration's evident, and I think compounded by the fact that Mackenzie Weger came out at, and had some pretty strong words for his team after Saturday's Battle of Alberta. And and any veteran guy will tell you that you really want to make sure you back that up. You don't want it to in your next game and, and nothing take nothing away from McKenzie's competitiveness and his intensity last night. I thought he was one of those guys who was as invested in the game as anybody. But, you know, when you come out and make comments like he made Saturday, you don't want to follow it up with a, a sort of oopsie at the, the blue line. And yet, to your point, you need your buddies to pick you up after that happens. Like... That should not be the moment that if if that was the four three goal, then we'd be sitting here and we'd be well within our rights to be criticizing. Well, Mackenzie Weger lost them this game. I think back to that gut punch loss to Chicago last year when two mistakes by Nazem Kadri, Kadri yeah. and one of them it winds up being the game winning goal. I believe Chicago maybe only scored two that game, and so in that case. The line is pretty clear. The Calgary Flames had 22 minutes last night to make sure that there wouldn't be a line between Braden Shen's shorthanded goal, which 
only trimmed a deficit to 3-2 yep. and a 4-3 loss. And so I understand McKenzie's frustration, and I think he said the exact sort of things you want to hear from a heart and soul kind of leader on your team, and yet they all own this one. Like, they let, as you said, a team that really had zilch last night, except Brandon Saad. Yeah. They let them climb back in that hockey game. And so I, just to, to wrap up that part of the conversation, I, I asked Michael Backlund about this uh, after practice on, on Wednesday morning. Just like, okay, you, you hear that, and McKenzie's putting it all on him, and Jacob's putting it all on him. But as a captain, do you like hearing that? Or is is this more of a team thing? I do think there's a little bit of a balance there. This was a Michael Backlund po- uh, after practice the, the next day. Everyone wants to play at their best. I didn't hear the comments yesterday or this morning, uh, so I haven't t- talked to them about it. But uh, they're both very competitive players, and they want to be uh, you know play, be leaders on this team, and play the right way and do the right things and be the you know, difference makers. Uh, so uh, I thought they both, you know, had good games. And uh, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, just two players. Uh, reason why we lost, it's on all of us. We got to be better as a team. And and I think that's the, the most important message. And I'm not, but please may, let me be clear. I am not criticizing Mackenzie Weger or Jacob Markstrom for taking that accountability. I'm not, because I think that is the, the sign of, being a, a a pro and a good teammate and and willing to answer the bell and and you know be that guy who uh, Rasmus Anderson said it a couple of weeks ago and then said it last week when I when I spoke with him basically said if if you're going to be a leader and part of being a leader is pointing fingers you better take care of your own backyard yeah. and so there's Mackenzie Weger taking care of his own backyard and Jay I so I, I appreciate it but on the outside I just think any outside criticism saying that Uyghur lost him the game, he also scored a goal yeah. his 11th of the year. Or Jacob, who kept them in the game in the first six or seven minutes and didn't let that thing uh, go sideways early. That was, that was just an overall team loss that a couple that they didn't react properly to a couple of mistakes. Let, let me ask you this, buddy, and I, I'm going to be putting you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. But do, you, do you think some of the frustrations that have been very visible lately or very audible I, I suppose in some cases do you think reality is setting in in the sense that this team realizes how tough of a spot they're in in terms of trying to chase down a wild card spot um yeah i think you got that realization from a couple of the comments after the loss yeah, yeah. it just feels to me like you know, you're you're never gonna come out after a game at this time of season and say, Well, we had to have that game. Like we really, we really messed this up. And yet I think they know a three game losing skid, especially when it comes in your own building in the midst of your longest homestand of the season. You had an opportunity to turn this homestand into something. Yeah. Now the best you can do is break even on where you were before it started. The best you can do really. And you know, I don't want to backtrack from what I said last night, which was that this is a must have that game against the blues. Like the best you can do at 500 on this homestand is quite frankly, not good enough. Yeah. They've, they've turned this, they, they turned an opportunity into at best, a push. At, at best, scratching to make it 
mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Like scratching and, and clawing to make it respectable. Yeah. That's sort of where you're at. Well, and you don't have you don't have a lot of time left, as Blake Coleman said after the Oilers lost. Yeah. There's not a lot of time left for pushes. Yeah. Like you, you you can't if you're gonna make your move, the time to kick the can down the road is start like the runway, you're starting to see the you're starting to see the red lines. Like, okay, that runway's starting to get shorter mm-hmm. and shorter here. They have 35 games left. Yeah, and and I just, you know, as we were sitting here chopping this up, I, I guess that sort of just hit me like, geez, these guys know what they're up against right now and know what not being close enough to the wild card fight might ultimately mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's hanging there, right? It, it is. It is a pretty tight group. We've 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 heard that for years, but I think we've seen more evidence of it this year than than in years past. And it's hanging over them. They yeah. know that yeah. a few of their best buddies are potentially in their final month and change as Calgary Flames. And and to that point, I, I think uh it was yeah, it was on the postgame show Tuesday. One of the callers, and I don't remember who it was now, I apologize uh, apologize. It's been a whirlwind. Uh, there's been a lot going on in the head over the last little while, um, but one of one of our callers on Flames Talk post game after the Blues loss, we, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, once once the clarity is achieved, and once we're maybe it's not until March 9th, mm-hmm. but once the Flames know from a front office standpoint, and thus once the players know. What the direction is. Is is Noah re-signing or not? Is is Hannafin here or is he getting dealt? And then is Tanev gonna is, is Tanev staying? And what you know, maybe more so where's Lindholm going or when it's going to happen? Whatever. Whatever the questions are, the when it's all solved, however it is solved, I I think the weight off the team's collective shoulders, I, I think it'll be palatable. I really do. Like I it wouldn't surprise me if we saw the Flames go on a decent run because they're playing loose hockey because finally the heaviness is taken away from sure. all of the impending change that has been hanging over them over the last, what, four or five months In, Individually and as a group. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I it, think even guys who know they're here, that you can't, like Blake Coleman, he's here for the long, he's not, he's not dumb. He knows what's being said. Right. He knows what could Rasmus Anderson or Jacob Markstrom or any of the Michael Backlund, all these guys who likely aren't being moved between March now and March 8th, even they know that this has been hanging over them. And I think to uh, 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 a non negligible amount, they'll be able to play a little bit more loose once all these decisions are made. Yeah. And, and let's just, let me just remind, and I, I don't think anyone needs to be reminded of this, but you know, whenever we have this sort of direction conversation, I know the text line lights up with, guys, everyone knows what the direction has to be, or how could they still be pondering this? There, There's not going to be a, a press release from the Flames saying, we've decided to retool, yeah. right? Yeah. Craig Conroy is not going to gather all the media one morning at, at the Dome and say, hey... Guys, we have an announcement to make. We're trade. We're now we're trading these three guys. We we find like <laughs> like there's not there is not going to be any you know billows of smoke coming out of the chimney at the Saddle Dome that 
we're ready to go in a new direction. And the same goes, the players are going to be kept in the dark on this as well, right? Craig Conroy is not going to tell the entire locker room, hey, you know, boys, we're, we're retooling or rebuilding, and here's what we mean by that. And so the, the uncertainty, and I like the way you put it, it, it is hovering over this group. Like, it's thick. Yeah, you can feel it. And, and the players, like, when you're, not necessarily when you're in the scrum interviews that we play for you on the air, but, you know, when you chat one-on-one with the players, they'll, they'll allude to it. They'll, they'll let you know that they, they know the entire hockey world's eyes are on the yeah. Calgary Flames as it pertains to the March 8th trade deadline. This this is not something that's lost. On I the can t- I can tell you that you know whatever. There's 22 on the roster right now. Yeah, 22 of 22 are not staying off social media and oh. and are not not blocking everything. Guys, know I've had enough. I've had enough guys again in conversations with guys who make comments about things that have been said or yeah. They know what one of them made a, a very clear reference to it to me today. And not one of the guys that I've mentioned on the air as me speaking to today. Yeah. Let's read a few texts at 960-960 before we hit the round table. Uh, This from Jared. It's simple. Regardless of Uyghur's gaffe, the power play still had a chance after to respond, and they also had a late power play to get the go-ahead goal. My opinion is that the power play is costing this team points in the standings. No doubt. And they had a chance to go back up 4-2 before the end of the second. And then, yeah, after Kairou's goal, back half of the third period, what, with like seven minutes to go, they had a power play, nothing. Yeah, it was the power play last night was absolutely putrid. It it contributed. The power play contributed more largely to the loss than Mackenzie right. Weaver's well, gaff did. To and be and you say, honest. like, team loss, you you know, point your finger where you want it. If you, if you're adamant that there has to be one single thing that costs the game, you can point to whether it was Osterley or, or Markstrom. If you believe he's to blame on the winning goal, you can point there. You can point to Uyghur's gaff. You can point to every guy on the power play and say, you wasted your, like, and that's what makes it a team loss. A whole bunch of things contributed to the Calgary flames frittering away an opportunity in a game that they had to have. Uh, this reads, Best they can do is sell. Stop fooling yourself into thinking this team can accomplish anything this year. I don't think that's what we've said. Uh, this says the Uyghur lost that game stuff is nonsense. Without Uyghur, that's just a 3-2 game for the Blues. Uh, Dylan says Uyghur was far and away the best flame on the ice. Mistakes happen. Uh, this says, um, how is it the two game winning goals are scored on two impossible to highly improbable shots? Very true. Uh, this says Pat, the Flames will need to finish 24 and 11 the rest of the year to get to 95 points. Is this team, um, is this a team that will only lose 11 games from now till April? It's a huge undertaking. I grant you that you are very correct in saying that. Yeah. And I think that's part of what we were talking about, about that realization for some of those guys. And, and we're not going to hear an admission of it, but that, that realization has to be setting in. This is a, a group that is spinning its wheels. And finally, this says um, an anvil to the gut or a bulldozer to the gut. Those would also work going back to the very start of the hour. And neither sounds awesome. No, I don't want any of those things to happen, especially me. I'm, I'm so soft. Oh, your gut, that's a, it's got to be a six pack. No, it still hurts. <laughs> 
A, no. B, it still hurts. Uh, it's Pat and Wes, and we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for a Wednesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hill. Save thousands on the 2023 GLB 250, GLC 300 Coupe, C300, or the GLC 300 zero down and a 2% loyalty lease rate reduction. It's uh, Pat Steinberg. Wes Gilbertson, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, who joins us on our Daily Flames roundtable. And the uh, news of the day roster-wise for the Calgary Flames is Adam Rzichka and Nick Simone on waivers on this Wednesday. And I want to spend uh, a good chunk of the roundtable, gents, on Ruzicka specifically. Because we talked about him on Tuesday's show when Cole Schwint came in and uh, centered the fourth line. It was Schwint, Klapka, and Greer, and... The line together played about, I don't know, six and a half minutes together-ish in the uh, loss to St. Louis on Tuesday night. But, you know, we got into a little bit on the Ruzicka front, but now here he is on waivers after being healthy scratched. And a guy that the Flames went out of their way to try to see if they could find a top nine spot for him through the first part of the season and in training camp and then has been given chance after chance after chance to be that number four center. Gents, what's our read on where things sit now with Ruzicka and his future with this organization? Like, are we talking about a guy who's bordering on kind of the last chance saloon, last chance corral when it comes to, when it comes to his time with the flames? I think so. I mean, he's had a really long leash and it's at least a short leash right now. He might be at a leash, uh, quite frankly, because the timing's not great for him. Uh, he's had plenty of time, but the timing's not great because you've got Kevin Rooney coming back probably sometime soon, and you've got Jacob Pelche coming back probably sometime soon, and you've got Adam Klapka who's come up and in his role as the fourth-line right winger, played okay in his first couple of games. And you've got a guy who made his Flames debut last night in Cole Schwint, who I know the organization has been pretty high on ever since they acquired him in that Matthew Kachuk trade, and who I didn't think looked out of place at all. As a matter of fact, that's the most effective I've seen a fourth-line setter play for the Flames in quite some time. Now, small sample size. It was one game. I'm sure the adrenaline was pumping through his veins. We'll see how he looks if he's back in the lineup on Thursday night against the Blue Jackets. But I was pretty impressed with Schwint in his Flames debut uh, on Tuesday night. So with all of that said, the Flames have given him ample opportunity, Adam Ruzicka that is, to prove that he can play on the first line, the second line, the third line, and the fourth line. It, it just hasn't worked consistently. And I would say that he's been pretty consistently inconsistent this season. And he, he's a guy whose skill set, probably lends itself better to being uh, a middle six guy as opposed to a fourth line guy. But I think the team's given him plenty of opportunities to play himself up in the lineup. And he just hasn't taken advantage of those opportunities, in my opinion. And if he's not scoring goals, which he hasn't done in 25 games, 
and he's not producing points, which he hasn't done in 11 games. I just I don't know that he brings enough to the table outside of those two things to put him uh, ahead of some other guys on the Flames' depth chart. So while I was a little bit surprised to see him on waivers today, I wasn't completely shocked. Uh, I just think that uh, the, the leash has been getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and he just hasn't done enough to to extend that leash uh, past this point. Now, if he does clear, and I do think that's a bit of an F, I think there are some teams out there that will probably see his size and his skill set and think, we can fix this guy because there usually are some teams like that. Uh, but if he does get through, I don't think it's a guarantee that he gets sent down. But if he did, I wouldn't surprise me either, fellas. It's one of those ones for me that you could you could sort of see it coming in the sense of, okay, now he's he played six minutes Saturday. Okay, now he's a healthy scratch for a couple of kids. And you so you could see it coming you could maybe feel it coming and, and yet when you first see the news today I was still like oh okay they they actually did it and, and I'm really curious to see where it goes you know I was looking at just some of the basic stats on Adam Rzichke. He starts the season on the second line right and and through four games he's got two goals and two assists already well in 35 games since then he has five points a goal and four assists in the past 35 games that he's dressed for. He also has a grand total of five points at even strength this season. He has two even strength assists this season. Five even strength points is the worst among regular forwards for the Flames. And so it was it was bound, I suppose, to come to this. I, I'm really curious. I, I don't know that you necessarily are sending Adam Rzichka to your farm team, although maybe you, you want to see if he can rebuild his game there. It's always, you know, it's, it's always a little bit of a, a balancing act. Are we going to send a guy who hasn't been in the minors for a couple of seasons down? Or are we going to use that as the message to say, Hey, you were, you were this close to going to the minors, but we're going to keep you around. Or maybe a claim goes in and we're not even having that conversation because we're talking about, Adam Ruzichka being back at the Saddle Dome with a Blackhawks team on Saturday or or heading right, somewhere else right. throughout the National Hockey League. It just I, I I hate piling on a guy who's on waivers. I really do. Um I just it's it's been a frustrating, I don't know, last ten months or so when it comes to to Ruzichka. Guys, I, I thought I thought they had found something when he went on that run playing with Lindholm and Toffoli. I, I, I was like, wow, they may, have, they may have really found something here because without question, and we all agree that consistency and that, that consistent buy-in, consistent effort, uh, consistent attention to detail is the thing that has held Adam back at, at every stage throughout his career. The tools this guy has, is an, he is an NHL-level player in terms of what tools he possesses from just based on those physical tools and his physical and, 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 and God given ability, he should be an everyday top nine NHL player. I have no doubt about that, but it's the, the finer points. It's the, the commitment to detail. It's, it's those things, the consistency that, that has held him back throughout his time in the league. 
And it felt like that had finally taken a corner, uh, turned a corner. And I, and I thought in the third quarter of last year, when he got put on that line and he had the 20 points in 25 games and in the middle of that stretch, I, I just remember having conversations and thinking to myself, wow, the flames may have really gotten a guy to have the light bulb go off and a fourth round pick has turned into a regular impact maker in their lineup. And then since that, since that stretch has tailed off, it hasn't been close. And then he was healthy, scratched a ton down the stretch last year. And this year's gone the way that it has. So yeah, it kind of feels like this thing is, is moving up on. We're not that far off from the flames having to make a decision in terms of not whether or not they sign him to a one year or a two year deal or something like that. It's more like, do they qualify him or do they decide to go in a different direction? And, and I think now for the final third of a professional hockey season, which we're kind of coming up on in both the American League and the NHL, wherever he finishes this season, it's on Adam to make that decision for the Flames now. And and I hope that a, I really hope, because I am such a fan of the actual potential this player has, I think it's on him now to uh, make that decision for the Flames. And, and I hope that he looks at this as, a real wake-up call, and and that this wake-up call is the one that that really spurs the most action we've seen to this point. Well, guys, the Flames may have already made their decision. I mean, it's not like they went to Adam Rzhitska and said, hey, if you don't start being a more impactful player for us, we're going to put you on waivers. And maybe that they already had that conversation with him. They put him on waivers. He might not be a Flame at this time tomorrow. So they may have already made their decision, and in a way they kind of did to me because they basically made him available to the other 31 NHL teams saying, hey, we've given it our best shot with this guy. It hasn't worked. Take him if you want him. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out in the next uh, 12 to 24 hours or so. But uh, it's been frustrating because you look at him with the size he has and with the skill that he has, and you think, this guy should be a top six, top nine power forward in this league. And he has proven in the past that he can be that guy. You know, you talked about the 20 points in 25 games that he had when he went from being a healthy scratch to being inserted on the left side of the Flames' top line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli last season. But then he goes from that guy to 20 points in his first 25 games, zero points in his next 19 games or last 19 games last season. And he's been much more that guy than the guy we saw who was almost a point of game player to start last season. So uh, I know the flames uh, have, have hoped for a long time that the light bulb would not only go on, but would stay on because it's gone on before. It just hasn't stayed on. But uh, I think they finally got to a point where they're like, listen, we, we've got enough depth in the organization where we don't have to keep giving this guy chances. We can give other players who have earned an opportunity chances to prove that they can play at the NHL level, whether that be in a fourth line role, like Adam's been in for most of the season or in a a top nine role. So we'll have to see if he's still a member of the flames tomorrow. And if he's still with the organization, if they do indeed send him down to the AHL or if they keep him at the NHL level and maybe let him sit out uh, again, he's been a healthy scratch in eight games so far this season. Maybe they try that again, but uh, it's too bad because uh, I really do think that uh, the raw tools are there for him to be a really effective NHL player. But uh, again, if you're not scoring goals and producing points, what are you doing to help the team win? 
he has the size to go out there and be a physical factor for this team, but he just, he doesn't seem to be wired that way. Just, uh, just to clarify one of the things you said, Wilsey, I, I know he was injured around the heritage classic, so he hasn't been healthy scratch for quite eight. And I can't remember the exact number, but, but a few of those absences were injury related. Definitely. He's, he's earned the scratches in the past few, but what you said in terms of, and I love the way you put it, what you said in terms of if you're not scoring, what what are you doing to help the team? I, I know Ryan Huska wants to change the identity of his fourth line. Yeah. And Adam Ruzichka is a guy who's been credited with seven hits this season. Adam Klapka is going to have more hits than him after his next game. And Adam Klapka has played 13 minutes in the NHL. And is Adam Ruzichka going to be Adam Klapka? No, but... He is just such an awkward fit for the fourth line. And as a credit to Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil, as a nod to Matt Coronado looking like one of the more dangerous guys on the ice last night, there's just not a top nine opportunity that's about to open up for Adam Ruzichka. Yeah. yeah. And, and guys, as you know, because you've seen him and, and I've seen him, but maybe our listeners don't know what he looks like without his equipment on. The guy is cut out of a stone. Like, if he wanted to go out there and bang and crash, he certainly has the size and strength to do that. But that's just not who he is as a player, at least not right now. It, it's why, Wilsey, I'm so curious if he gets claimed on waivers tomorrow because yeah. there's just so much to like yeah. there, right? The yeah. power forward frame, like this guy can absolutely wire a puck. The offensive instincts are good. One of the things that's kept him in the lineup for the Flames is that until recently he was on their second power play. Like there's so many tools in the toolbox there. And yet he's been so frustratingly inconsistent for the Calgary Flames. Yep. Daily Flames round table, uh, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg don't have a ton of time, uh, but still have some time to kick this one around because look, uh, as, as uh, Wes and I talked about a little earlier, as you called it Tuesday night on the broadcast, Wills, a gut punch or any other uh, any other object going at a fast speed to the gut is what we saw against the Blues on Tuesday. That's a demoralizing loss, and it's an unacceptable loss, and and one that they just could not allow to happen at the stage of the season against who they were playing and and the way the game went. So knowing all that. Just how crucial does the rest of this homestand become with two more games before their last long homestand comes to an end and before they hit this all-star break? Huge. Absolutely huge. And yeah, Tuesday night was definitely a gut punch. And I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around how that game turned as quickly as it did. I didn't like the start, which was disappointing, but I really loved the Flames' response after the game got to 1-1. I thought they completely took that contest over. They were in complete control of it. Having scored two goals to make it 2-1 and then 3-1, they're on the power play late in the second period with the chance to to make it 4-1 and probably put the game to bed. And they give up a shorthanded goal. Hey, it it happens. Uh, I just, I hated how they responded to that. And, you know, we've got a great vantage point. Uh, Wes, I know you're on the opposite side, but you know, as good as you get in the NHL to, to see what's going on down at ice level, about uh, 80 feet from the ice surface at Scotiabank Saddledome, a great bird's eye view. And, you know, we've got a, a great uh, vantage point to see what's going on. 
But last night was one of those games where I could almost feel things just turn on a dime. And that game changed after that short-handed goal. You could see it in the Flames' body language. You could see it in their details. And I don't know why giving up that goal when they still had a 3-2 lead and what, one minute and 53 seconds left in the power play late in the second period. I don't know why that took the wind out of their sails the way that it did. But, you know, for me, the, the game clearly changed on that shorthanded goal. And the Flames really never got back to their game again. And it, it felt like only a matter of time before that game was tied. And you know, I almost said it in the final couple of minutes of the third period. I didn't want to jinx it. Maybe I should have said it and I would have uh, uh, been giving it a reverse jinx instead. But, you know, I I just got the gut feeling that the Flames needed to manage the clock to get the game to overtime to pick up at least a point. And unfortunately, they didn't do that. Giving up the game-winning goal with less than a minute left, it was just a, a tough loss. Maybe as tough as they've suffered all season long, leading late in the second period by two with a chance to make it a three-goal lead and then letting that one-goal lead slip away in the third period and, and not even getting a point out of a game that, you know, for a while it looked like they for sure had two wins. So that was a tough one, and it puts them in a position now where instead of having two teams to climb over to get into the second wildcard spot, they've got four teams to climb over, and that's based on points and not point percentage. So these next two games are huge. Uh, that was the hardest of the three games remaining on the homestand, at least on paper. Uh, not that the next two are going to be easy. They can't lose to the Blackhawks again. I've said that before. I'll say it again. Uh, but Thursday's game against the Blue Jackets isn't going to be easy. That's uh, a team that's well coached and uh, they can be a tough out. So the, the Flames have to find a way to win the next two games. If they do that, uh, there'll be a couple of games above 500 again. They'll be within striking distance of a playoff spot. They'll be feeling better about themselves going into what is a a seven or eight day break uh, between games so for the NHL All-Star break and their bye week it is absolutely imperative. The Flames find a way to win the next two games. And I think the coaches are in a tough spot because, you know, we can sit here and call the next two games must win, but that's a dangerous place for a coach to go because what if you don't win? What do you say to the guys then? So uh, if you're Ryan Huska, you have to let the guys know. I'm sure they already know, but you have to let them know. You have to reinforce how important the next two games are without uh, really saying, hey, if we don't win the next two, then our, our season is over. So I guess it's uh, a matter of choosing words wisely. I'll, uh, I'll keep mine on this pretty brief. Uh, and all the words that I've heard already, you know, huge, imperative, crucial, they all apply to the final two games of this homestand. As Derek pointed out, you know, the chance to get a couple of games above 500 going into your break, the the chance to have a little bit of confidence going into your buy, all that stuff. It, it's all absolutely couldn't agree more. And yet I'll say what I said on the last segment. Winning half your games on this homestand is not going to be good enough. Three out of six will still be a disappointing result. You have to get the three, but three out of yeah. six which is now yeah. your best case scenario is yeah. a very disappointing result. And, uh, and, and I'll keep it short and sweet too. Um, but the other thing that I would say on this is it's imperative, not only from if they want to stay in the playoff race, it's imperative if they want to, you know, put themselves in a slightly better position going into the all-star break, if they want to, you know, kind of make up for a few of these frustrating losses over the last week or so, you know what else it is guys, 
they are running out of chances for the guys in that locker room. Willsey, how often have we talked about, have you talked about the guys don't want to see players traded, they don't want this team to go younger, they don't want this team to retool or rebuild or whatever, while they're running out of chances here if they want to push that down the road, they're running out of chances here if they want to make it so that Craig Conroy says, well, and I'm not saying that they should or shouldn't do this as an organization, but if inside that locker room they want to see Tanev and Hannafin and Lindholm all back, well, they're kind of running out of chances to prove that to management and prove that, hey, you should still be thinking about this. So they're kind of, we just talked about Adam Rzichka maybe bordering on his last chance. Guys, inside that room, they may be running out of chances too if they're going to try to change the mind of management in terms of where this thing might go. And I think that people on the outside have made up their minds already, and that's fair. You know, probably Wes and I have too. But inside that room, their mind is made up in terms of the way they want it to go. And if they want to convince management or, or try to sway management even slightly, they've only got a few shots left. Yeah, I think that's fair, Pat. And uh, we live in a, a world where it's, what have you done for me lately? And when the Flames were playing well, a lot of people that had jumped off the bandwagon jumped back on it. And now they've lost three in a row, and uh, a lot of those people have probably jumped back off of it again. And if they win the next two, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be back on the bandwagon again, but I bet you some people will be. And if you're Craig Conroy, you can't let a stretch of three games decide what direction you're going to take this team in long term. But uh, at some point in time, if you do really fall out of the playoff race, that I just think it makes your decisions a lot easier. And I think that's what some people are actually hoping for. The people on Team Tank who want to see this team uh, rebuild or at least retool. But uh, every point is important at this point. And, and in my opinion, the Flames are still very much in the playoff race. But they can't have a lot of long losing streaks between now and the end of the regular season. That's uh, the position they put themselves in when they picked up five of a possible 20 points in the first 10 games of the season. And they've got to stop the bleeding at three. We'll see if they can do it against the Blue Jackets on Thursday. See you Thursday morning, Willsey. Thank you, pal. Okay, guys. Have a good night. That's uh, Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As that wraps us up on our Daily Flames Roundtable, that starts to wrap us up this hour. Thanks to Azam and Shan, our producers this hour. And the Daily Flames Roundtable is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes invented airbags and automatic braking systems. It makes sense they came up with the unparalleled EQ lineup. 0% lease rate on select 2023 models. See in-store for details.